newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers, plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk, pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it, it's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you remember Mrs. Sadie Smuggery. Here we are with a half hour of commentary and analysis on media issues of the week and what's been going on. I'm Rex Smith of the Upstate American, formerly editor of the Times Union, here with Dr. Alan Shartok of WAMC, with Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist and professor, and with Judy Patrick, <laughs> former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president of the New York Press Association. Sorry, Judy, I just kind of stumble here as I'm looking over to my left and saying, how are you? Alan Shartok, what? sir. There was an election, you it may was. have noticed. Actually, the most expensive election in American history. $17 billion spent on advertising. Wow. So that means that the free media, as it's sometimes called, the press, the legitimate journalists, is perhaps of less impact than advertising. Notwithstanding that, how did the media do? What would you say is an analysis of how the media handled its role in this election? Well, a lot of this has to do with the perception that is offered by the media itself as to how it's doing. A lot of bragging. They do a lot of chest thumping. They think that they're, I want to get the right word here, but I really can't without violating the FCC standards. They want to make sure that they don't do anything that is inappropriate. So we watch them, interestingly, do their thing. I wish I could be more specific than that, but you called on me and I did the best I could. There we go. <laughs> Rosemary, how are you going to do? If I were rating them in class, I'd give them probably a C. Hmm. I think that they failed again miserably, inexplicably on polls. They accepted a whole bunch of junk Republican polls in the last few weeks that were nothing but a mirage. The media completely downplayed the anger, the ire of women. There was a lot of writing about how, oh, you know, Supreme Court decision was a few months ago. It's faded. That was baloney. The turnout of women and the performance of all of the measures that were anti-abortion, they all failed, speaks otherwise. I think they also bought into the Republican idea that crime was going to be, along with inflation, the major issue. That did not prove true according to exit polls. They did too much horse racing, handicapping who's ahead rather than this is the issue that matters or here's how much money is being spent on advertising. Some of the real problems that we have with our elections. So overall, C. A C. Would you rate them a C or higher, Judy? No, I wouldn't go higher than a C as well. It was way, way too much horse race coverage and coverage of sloganeering. We really have never seen the media do what it could do, what I expected it is capable of, which is get into where these candidates stand on the issues. And I saw none of that. And we're even seeing this after the election, where instead of talking about what they're trying to frame what happened on the election as a victory for Democrats because they didn't lose as badly as 
because they thought they were going to lose. And so mm. in that respect, I think we need to step away from opining about how big a defeat or what this all means until we get some real data. Let me see if I can, for purpose of conversation, at least push back a little on this. In my career, I've often heard so much about, oh, the media did this and the media did that, when it was important, I think, to assert that the media, if you'd want to use one big word to take in everything from WAMC, which, by the way, Alan, you exempted from any of your criticism, uh, to the New York Times. You're such uh, a nasty fellow. <laughs> just trying to be accurate here. But well, the fact keep is, trying, the get media them. reflect what's going on. And I'm upset as well about the notion that there is too much attention to polling, especially to fraudulent polling. I mean, why does anybody ever quote Rasmussen polls? It's just purely a Republican House Or Trafalgar, organ. that's another Trafalgar, one. exactly. Yeah. Why do we even pay attention? Why do we count them as polls? But because the media, with the quotes around it, needs material. And if they see some material, there's plenty, material. there's plenty of material How out there. There's a the little fact, bit of work to get to it. But that's that, not the way they see it. How about the fact that people want to have an understanding of the world and people look to try to figure out what's coming next? You know, we'd all like to know how long we're going to live. We'd like to know what's going to happen in our neighborhood. I think that the impulse of people to want to figure out what's coming down the pike is part of what drives the reporters to this over-reliance on polls. And to the chagrin, of course, of a lot of journalists that there is so much attention on polls. So I think that there is at least a reason why it happens, and that is consumers are demanding it. And we talk all the time on this program and have for decades now about how we need to have more attention to issues in political coverage, but it doesn't propel the audience. There's also missing is a lot of investigation and analysis. Who knew that the redistricting mess in New York was going to result in possible turnover of control of the House. That's what it's looking like right now. That that mess mm. mishandled here by the governor, by the Democratic Party especially, by the courts, I would say, has had national complications. And we have not covered that. I've no, read some of this stuff. No, there was coverage no, of, of that. Of course there was coverage, Rex, but not in the way I mean. Like, why did DeSantis get away with it in Florida? That map is even worse than New York's were. So why isn't there coverage of comparative states? Gerrymandering. Yes, we've covered it, but not in a way that says this is going to affect your vote. We have not driven home the point. And yes, of course, we've covered every story you can mention. I can say, yes, I read about it in a newspaper or saw it on television. But it wasn't the constant drumbeat, which I would say there were about polls, about the end of abortion as an issue, about the fake issues of crime, about bail reform. Those hammered day after day, but not redistricting and gerrymandering. Uh, and why is that? There's just not enough comprehension on the part yeah, of Yeah, it's hard to understand. Hard but to understand. I mean, and so what are we to do? Like, take your medicine, listeners. Take your medicine, TV viewers. You have to read this well, stuff because we're telling you that you have to. I don't to. know. I know that in the Capitol District, yeah. the architect of all this is John Faso, who's been in this radio station. Many he times. saw it. He's the one who brought the lawsuit. He knew. We have the sources. We're not talking to him about these other stories. It was not to his advantage to bring this all out. Hey, this lawsuit could change the whole balance of Congress. Did he see that? I don't know, but I sure want to know now. We're talking about failures of the press. That was one of them. Will you be kind enough to tell everybody what you're talking about when you say this lawsuit? When the Democrats came out with a new map to redraw the maps after the census, Republicans challenged. Mm -hmm. That suit was brought by John Faso, a former congressman in our area, and That's it funny. won. That is the suit that led to a judge saying, yeah, this is completely ridiculous. It's unfair. I'm throwing it to, a, I don't know, some graduate student. Here's the thing, though. I do recall reading in, in the Times Union.
Union, for example, and I believe in the New York Times as well, probably following as they often do. <laughs> the it should be pointed out that Rex used to be the editor of the Times Union, <laughs> Not that and therefore he couldn't, he couldn't help taking a swipe at the New York Times. But reporting when the Democrats put those districts into place, that this was a bid by Democrats in New York to try to hold on to seats. They were shaping the districts that they were gerrymandering, and that this was New York trying to save the House for Democrats. So that was pointed out. And then John Faso brought the lawsuit, he and his cohort. And so it's not that it wasn't there. I guess my point is that people didn't pay attention. Do we blame people, reporters? Didn't, reporters didn't pay attention to it. That's their freaking job. But, and but at what the was same, done was done when it came to uh, the election. It's true. But did you know going in? I mean, I never saw a story. I heard us talk about it, but I never saw a story any place that compared New York map drawing to Florida. Completely different. Both were unfair, terrible maps. New York ends up with the Democrats punished. They have to redraw it and they lose district. Florida drew theirs to get extra seats. And that all won. That's why the Republicans will be in charge of the House. And isn't that because judges allowed the Florida maps to go forward? Trump appointed judges. Exactly. Another See, story. The, great story. <laughs> exactly. And now we've got, I mean, the, the power of judges here is one of the great stories that is yes. really hard to get across because people don't pay attention to judges. We've got a judge out in Buffalo, a guy named Sinatra, appointed by uh, Doobie Donald Doobie Trump. Doobie Doobie. <laughs> judge Doobie Doobie Doo, who is requiring a union out there, the union that wants to represent Starbucks, to hand over messages that they sent to reporters. It's now, horrible. that's kind of outrageous yeah, that's uh, that you're saying these confidential conversations, presumably, that is truly an incursion on the free press. That's a Trump-appointed judge. And that is, of course, a great and ongoing story. But it's another one that is hard to get people to pay attention to. It's not a story for the public right now. It's certainly a story yeah. for the press, and I hope it's fought. That needs to be appealed. There's First Amendment implications there. And there's also lots of training for union organizers who, like reporters, should know better than to put anything in an email, anything in writing. By the way, we can come back to more on the election in just a moment, but that actually raises the question about how reporters use digital media and use yes. social media, yes. which in the context of Elon Musk taking over Twitter is a big deal because Twitter has become a real tool of journalism. It's a tool for news gathering. It's a tool for news distribution. And Elon Musk is sort of trashing Twitter. It's going to have big implications for journalism, right? Do any of you use Twitter in, in that way? I did until the day he took over. Ah. Twitter was faltering, I thought, before the 2016 well, election. It, it wasn't anything I would go to, but during the Trump administration, mm -hmm. more and more journalists used that, and I used it almost like a wire service. You would find out about things happening before it hit the wires, before it hit AP, before it hit mainstream news. But then it became a point where it would be on Twitter, and you say, oh, is this true or not? And so you'd have to do some more research, go to a reputable site and see you know, if that plane crash really happened. You know, since Elon Musk's takeover, things have gone downhill for Twitter. I mean, first of all, he retweets this fake story out of the Santa Monica Observer, which isn't really a newspaper, yeah. um, calling in to question Mr. Pelosi's attack. And he's... he's the attack on Mr. Pelosi. The attack, mm -hmm. yes. Now he's selling credibility for $8 a month a shot for anybody who's willing to <laughs> do that. I mean, I... On Twitter, you're a verified user. You get a blue check mark next to your name if they verify that you're who you say you are and you're credible. Now, Musk is proposing to sell this for 
$50 a month to anybody who ponies up the But it is interesting how much news has been generated by Musk's activities. He's the new Trump. The richest man in the world buys the most powerful political discourse machine in the world. Of course, there's going to be lots of press on that. Yeah, and he overpays for it, and he'll probably lose some money. Yeah, well, probably overpaying is a matter of how much you got. <laughs> oh. In other words, if you have a lot of money and the money means nothing. He borrowed for that, though, so it does mean something. Well, you can borrow, but that doesn't mean, you know, that there isn't a wink and a nod going on over the borrowing. And, and that's an issue about who he borrowed from. Yeah. So does it matter if the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, owns this platform? How different is that from Rupert Murdoch owning all the newspapers that matter in Australia as well as Fox Great News and, and, the United and, States. And, and what he has in the United States and the U.K.? Isn't that the same thing? Yes, equally horrible well, and newsworthy. Look, everything is different. Different people doing the borrowing, different people doing the owning. Nevertheless, you make a very fine point, Rex Smith. Why, thank you. Record this moment, <laughs> uh, folks. Record this. And people like Rose are leaving the platform. A lot of people are waiting to see what happens with it. I mean, one of the things. What do you mean she's leaving the platform? She's, she I dumped off. Twitter. She oh, dumped. I see what you mean. She, she, a lot of, and you a lot you're of representative are. of everybody. Well, of course, Twitter is not putting out these numbers, but Elon Musk is spending a lot of time trying to reassure advertisers, and people with large accounts are noting and talking about how they're seeing big drops in the number of their followings, which indicates a lot of other people are doing what I did. Oh. And he's starting to censor. I mean, he's saying he's not involved, but people were doing fake Elon Musk accounts. They were impersonating Elon Musk. Kathy Griffin, the uh, comedian, she got deplatformed. She got suspended permanently because she did this, and a lot of outrage over I that. I love how she keeps getting in trouble for social media. <laughs> yeah, cutting it. edge. Twitter yeah. has 436 million monthly users, which makes it huge, although minuscule by comparison to Facebook or YouTube. Do they all have to pay, right? No. No, they don't pay. No, it's free. Yeah, that's the amazing thing. And a lot of people comment on things on Twitter. A lot of information is distributed on Twitter. That's how a lot of content gets put out there by legitimate news organizations. And a lot of reporters use it to get information. They say, DM me, as in direct message. DM me if you know anything about this. So this is a program about media. And so what is the relationship between Twitter, for example, and what some people like you, Rex, might call legitimate media. Well, that's it. It is a tool of legitimate media, but it is increasingly suspect if Elon Musk is going to turn it into something where the Santa Monica Observer, for example, has status equal to that of the more legitimate newspaper of that area, say the Los Angeles Times. If you can't tell the difference, if he's making the blue check mark available to whoever pays, he'll probably come up with something even bigger, like a golden check mark if you pay more. Uh, you know. <laughs> And, and it'll all become a matter of money, and I think it'll lose credibility, and it'll lose more Follow, people like Rosemary yeah. who are going to say, I'm, I'm done with this. Well, Facebook is also in trouble. It announced recently a huge layoff, much bigger than the one that Elon Musk announced. And TikTok, meanwhile, is increasingly the uh, platform of choice of young people. That's the only thing my college students are looking at these days. Well, can you so. explain to the people who are listening to the show what the difference between TikTok and some of the other modalities? TikTok is video as opposed to Facebook and, and Twitter, which are mostly words. It moves fast. Those young people just don't like to read. Yeah, the, any, <laughs> anything that cuts yeah. down the words or eliminates it altogether. And it's the same thing you, you join, follow. 
it has algorithms that track what you're interested in and gives you more of the same. And it's very easy. Just go to Google. You know, we'll all know what Google is, I hope, and just look up TikTok and it'll take you right to the site and you can join and see for yourself. You know, I say these platforms are free, but they're really not free because what you're doing is you're paying for it with your privacy. You're paying with it with your eyeball because you receive advertisements or, or they're tracking you. So um, you have to keep that in mind when you sign up for Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, on and on. Given the interest that these things draw, especially of the younger voters, younger citizens, it almost makes you question if there is a future for the legacy media at all. Why are people even well, bothering that for years. to pay attention? Well, we assumed... Well, at one point you said 10 years, newspapers would be dead. I remember that. They would stop printing. Actually, there's been more resilience in the legacy media than I expected. Than you thought. Yeah. I thought we wouldn't. That's because there's a lot of old people who still like it better. There That's going to go away, though. Yeah. And there's there's no market. There's nobody to pay for reporters and editors and copy editors and all the other stuff that requires checking out evidence. The future, I think, looks really bleak for legacy media. But the platforms are based in many respects on the legacy media. What they do is they'll take something that a local reporter found, even if it's a weird cat story, and they need that local reporter to find it in the first place and then amplify. But if there is no significant effort to ascertain that that is true, if the Elon Musks of the world take over these digital platforms and run with the Santa Monica Observer as much as they do with serious media, then we're going to be overrun with fake news. And there will be even the best efforts to keep good reporting going, like Report for America, for example, which is a wonderful effort to put local reporters into newsrooms, real newsrooms across the country. Even those best efforts will not draw the attention that the hoop de doo stuff that is put out by the fraudulent fake media are going to do. I'll put on my Pollyanna hat here and say we need to do more civics education. This needs to start at the high school level where we teach kids about the value of learning about their government and knowing about current events. I used to hate current events when I was in high school, but I grew to love it. Well, as somebody, you know, who was in a classroom for years and did what you are espousing, I mean, if Alan is in a classroom and he is teaching civics education, how do I know he's not advancing Alan education as opposed to civics education? Yeah, good question. That's why there is some resilience to this right-wing argument about schools, uh, yeah. why you're seeing the right taking over school boards, because essentially they want to have Christian education in the schools, you right. know, which is kind of a perverse notion with all due respect to the religious among us. But that is not what schools exist for. And I think there's a good Says point you. to be made. Well, yeah, I don't think schools exist to put forward religious arguments. Shouldn't But anyway. certainly there are people listening right now who do believe that. Yes. Yeah, you're right who believe that government should exist to promote God's message on earth or something. So how do you counter that? Journalism has always stood as the factual counter to fake information or to a viewpoint. This is where we got into the view from nowhere idea in which we have decried on this. So this is how we got into journalism being so much pablum that is without a stance because we were trying to avoid being biased. Uh, but if you don't have value-laden civics education, if you don't give people a sense of why they ought to pay attention to what's going on in their community, you're going to lose people altogether. Maybe they are. Early indications are that 
the young people did come out and vote in this midterm. Let's see. Let's see. But those are the early indications. So maybe TikTok is providing a value. There was a lot about voting on TikTok. Sierra was talking about this at the roundtable in a recent show. She is a professor, so she watches TikTok, as we all should be doing, as all we grown-ups should be doing, see what those kids are up to. (laughs) And it was filled with messaging about voting. Not vote a certain way, but vote, vote, vote. Women's rights, uh, climate are all issues that uh, resonate with young people, and that apparently was used as a way to drum up participation. Where do those messages originate? Is that was that organized or it's, is that just no? It's org- TikTok, so it's it's groups yeah. or individuals who know how to use the platform hmm. and have created messaging. That's pretty hmm. interesting. I, I hope more studies will come out on this. Well, you know that is interesting in the context of which media are rising and which are falling. Right. Here's an interesting statistic: the, the viewership of the midterm results on television dropped by 29 hmm. percent from 2018 midterm viewership, which is you know kind of the last comparable mm-hmm. election. Viewership of television news dropping by 29%, even though this was a hotly contested midterm election with near record turnout. That's quite something. And that means probably that a growing number of people are watching TikTok or something else. Or they're waiting because uh, there's a new idea being advanced. Why do we have big election night coverage? It's a tradition in our business. And my saying, dump election night coverage, is akin to policemen who heard defund police departments. Shocking. But yet, you know, forget the pizza, forget the all night. It doesn't work anymore. We don't know the results the day of the night of elections anymore. Arizona taking days. Any close election went into 3 a.m., even the Fetterman Oz results came in at 3 a.m., well past prime time. Why do we still have the same thing? Yes, you cover the results as they come due. Tradition. But setting up that big table and all other programming ends and we just stop and look at the board. Kornacki and, and John King yelling, oh, look at this county in the middle of Arizona. Wow, why do you care? Oh, why do we do it? Right. We uh, have John and, King saying oh, we've got results from one county, and we can predict this one county is going to go this way or that way. And we've got 50 other counties. I turned off the TV and walked away. It's like So you're in that way. 29%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so incremental to be useless. And I agree, wait until the election results are in. I mean, have some coverage of it, especially when you know the re- when, yeah. when exit polling clearly shows Well, the but winner. the channel that doesn't wait, the channel that opines or says what they think is happening, is the one that people are going to watch. Some people. Some people. Well, old old people. You are so elitist and so condescending. No, it's They the all other. opine and speculate because there are no <laughs> results anymore. Exactly. That's that's the, I mean, Except Fox the News. war in Ukraine, deteriorating infrastructure. There's a million things to talk about. You yeah. could. Here's one that is interesting. Stepping away from the election coverage for just a moment. Is there was... a show over? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one that's that's really interesting. The editor and publisher of Columbia Journalism Review, a guy named Kyle Pope, wrote an interesting provocative column about the coverage of missing people. In 2004, he opens with quoting Gwen Ifill, a wonderful journalist, first in print and then in broadcast. And she talked about the coverage of people who've gone missing as, quote, missing white woman syndrome, because she pointed out if there's a missing white woman, you're going to cover that, but not so much. Absolutely true. 
So they put together, Columbia Journalism Review has put together this wonderful app where you can see how important you are. What are you worth? And you put in your age and where you live. Did you do it? Yeah, I did it. And, and my, if I were to go missing, there would be about 11 stories, four local and three that might make it to the New York Times. <laughs> and it might make it to NPR. They don't count the fact that I have ties to the journalism business, yeah. so that might increase it. But 11 stories. If I were 20 years old instead of as old as I am, there would be over 120 stories about me. Fascinating. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to make my students. Arepressworthy.com. If yeah. you're interested, arepressworthy.com is the way to get in and well, share your findings. Will somebody do it for me, please? So sure. Yeah. yeah, I'll do yeah. it for you. Let I'll let me you know. know. Yeah, I, 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 well, I don't know that there would be much attention now. And they, <laughs> and they, they also, they <laughs> also tell you what media is most likely to cover you and what media definitely won't cover you. And mine had NPR and New York Times, and I'm not sure that's true. And also had Washington Post, because I have ties to them, to the poll. I I don't think it's completely accurate, but you can figure it out. So yours won't be as accurate as it should be because you have a connection to NPR, you're a figure, so there's likely to be more coverage. I think they should refine the app. I was gonna send in a note saying- looks have anything to do with it? No, looks don't, well, Well, actually they do. Young young women, young white women get the most. White women, especially if you're blonde, even more so. Uh, Remember the case maybe 20 years ago where a young white woman who Elizabeth was pregnant Smart? Oh, no. I'm who, sorry, I'm w- yeah. um, went missing. Her husband was eventually convicted. That dominated the national news for months. And when, we had coverage here this summer when a teacher from South Colony High School, Megan Marone, went missing. A lovely person, by the way. I spoke at her journalism class right, at the high school. It's tragic. But when she went missing, that was a big story locally and in the Berkshires and with a tragic result. But I wonder if there weren't other people who went missing at the same time in our community who we just didn't hear about. So a black woman, for example, as opposed to a a white woman. Exactly. I think that was Gwen Eiffel's point. And we often talk about this in the context of who is important enough when they die that there is a certain amount of coverage. You know, we are all born equal, Mm. we are told, by our Declaration of Independence and, and by our religions, but we certainly don't die equal. And some people get a lot of coverage and others do not. So if I were to die, Rex, how do you think it would be covered? Oh, well, Well, this is an interesting conversation. No, no, that's a joke. (laughs) As Freud said, there is no joke. (laughs) If I were to die, we all shall, of course. We'll just see what happens. But I think your point, Alan, is that because you're a public figure, there would be more attention to it. I just want to point out that one thing, going back to press coverage, Carrie Lake, a television anchor, who actually worked in this market. She used to work for WNYT, News Channel 13, the NBC affiliate in Albany, went out to Phoenix. And I think that there is a phenomenon there that we're gonna see more of in politics. When you become an anchor in a major market, you have certain skills, you're telegenic and so on. And I think that is gonna translate so much into the media, Mm. such that the leading candidate for president, if he were to decide to run, I uh, would probably be, what is the name of the guy with the bow tie on Fox? Tucker Carlson, sorry. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> Tucker Carlson could be our next president, folks. So just Yeah, to... he's being mentioned as a political candidate. Mm-hmm. It is kind of frightening. Yeah, but it didn't really work well for Dr. Oz <laughs> so far. And so Carrie far. Lake didn't get a walk away either. No, yeah, we'll see. That is all we have time for today. That would be the end of the Media Project with one more week. Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith. Thanks to our producer, David Gustina, for tolerating all of this. And to you folks, our listeners, for joining us each week here on The Media Project. Please tell me what choice I have. (laughs) It's wonderful to represent the 
Now publishers are such interesting people Their policies an acrobatic thing They claim to represent the common people Funny Wall Street never has complained Ah, but publishers have worries For publishers must go To working folks for readers And to big shots for their dough Now publishers are such interesting people It could be prostitution, I don't know Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation Ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising Get those readers, get that payoff What a headache, what a mess Oh, publishers are such interesting people Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. 